This is The Saucer Life, exploring the history and lore of flying saucers. I'm Aaron Gullius. I'm a fan of the New York Times reporting on the Pentagon's revealed UFO investigation efforts. We're going to quickly be looking at that and some historical perspective and a little bit of precedent, sort of, in what we're calling Bonus Encounter 3, Shocking Revelations. This is being done largely in one take, with no editing except for the little jingles at the beginning and end, and um, editing out silence as I shift between things I'm looking at and having a drink of beer, because this is all very sort of impromptu, uh, without a huge amount of research. Every single one of the things I'm going to be saying tonight could be, and probably will be, an entire episode at some point. So... Don't think that I think I'm being exhaustive about any of this, because I'm not. Okay, here we go. So, on December 16th, 2017, the New York Times ran a story called Glowing, <laughs> Glowing Auras and Black Money, the Pentagon's Mysterious UFO Program, by Helene Cooper, Ralph Blumenthal, and Leslie, Ke Leslie Keen. See, usually these little blubs would be edited out, but not tonight. So there's this story and there's some interesting stuff in it. Basically, there was a program within the defense department that investigated reports of unidentified and flying objects. It was run by a military intelligence official named uh, Luis Eliz Elizondo. It was in the Pentagon. It was sort of deep within the defense department bureaucracy. Parts of it are still classified. It began in 2017, and this is a quote. It was largely funded at the request of Harry Reid, the Nevada Democrat who was the Senate Majority Leader at the time and who has long held an interest in space phenomena. Most of the money went to an aerospace research company run by a billionaire entrepreneur and longtime friend of Reid's, Robert Bigelow, who is currently working with NASA to produce expandable craft for humans to use in space. I'm wondering if that should be expendable craft, but giant balloon-like things also sound plausible. So basically, the Times asked some questions about this once the story broke, and the Pentagon said, yeah, that's a real program. They acknowledged its existence. Um, it was part of the DIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency, and they said that the effort ended in 2012. So it ran from about 2007 to about 2012. But Elizondo, who ran the program, says that the only thing that ended was the effort's government funding, he says, which dried up in 2012. Uh, still quoting, from then on, Mr. Elizondo said he worked with officials from the Navy and the CIA. He continued to work out of this Pentagon office until this past October when he resigned to protest what he characterized as excessive secrecy and internal opposition. He says the effort's continuing. He has a successor who he declined to name. So Harry Reid in 2007 provides funding in the millions of dollars to Bigelow. Now, to be fair, millions of dollars in terms of the defense budget is basically what I spent on this beer I'm drinking right now, sort of speaking proportionally. But Reid's interest in UFOs came from Bigelow. And, and Bigelow, uh, th throw Robert Bigelow in your Google machine and you will find all kinds of stuff. The uh, ranch, the Skinwalker Ranch, where he was having investigators sort of investigate things. Bigelow's a big name. Um, 
basically one of the things that really jumps out is not just that the Defense Department was examining UFO reports, but, quote, the company modified buildings in Las Vegas for the storage of metal alloys and other materials that Mr. Elizondo and program contractors said had been recovered from unidentified aerial phenomena. Researchers also studied people who they said had experienced physical effects from encounters with the objects and examined them for any physiological changes. Now, that's big. And even cynical UFO history guy like me can think, this is, this is big enough to be interesting. Now, even though it's big, it's not necessarily unprecedented or unexpected, in my opinion, that the Defense Department would have some interest on an official basis in what is going on in the skies and whether or not we can identify what things in the skies might be. There's something that, you know, if you look on social media, if you talk to people, people see unidentified flying objects, the, the phrase unidentified flying objects. The first thing they think is alien spacecraft. Not necessarily, not even when it is, re it might be, not necessarily in every case. So what is the history of the government officially or unofficially in cases that we know of anyway? What's the history of the government looking at this subject and the government investigating? Well, it all sort of goes back to almost the very beginning in the, in the late 1940s. Um, in 1948, the, um, the defense department or the air force initiated project sign, which for public purposes was called project saucer. Project saucer was sort of the public name project sign was the, uh, the official cryptonym for it. Uh, sign was tasked with figuring out what these strange things in the sky that people saw were at some point, the cryptonym sign becomes compromised and the whole thing is shut down in 1949. Um, at which point it secretly becomes project grudge, which continued this look at what these things in the sky are coming to the conclusion, basically that it's nothing that we necessarily need to worry about. Nothing that we can't unidentify can't unidentify, can't identify. However, there were some early reports that were part of Project Sign uh, that these things might be of interplanetary origin, so, which is a report that got quashed and said, go back to the drawing board on that. So Project Grudge ends um, still in 1949. And then the big public-facing Air Force investigation effort, Project Blue Book, ran from 1952 to 1969-1970. And Blue Book would be the Air Force investigatory program that is the most well-known among the general public. It was Blue Book that would have the famous J. Allen Hynek of Northwestern University as a scientific advisor. It's Blue Book that would spawn a TV show in the late 60s developed by Dragnet's Jack Webb. It's Blue Book that would be the public face of UFO investigation in the United States. And, you know, by its very existence, an acknowledgement that the Air Force did take reports of UFOs very seriously. Um, in a... Uh, a, a, an interview in, in December 
1954, President Eisenhower uh, was asked in a story reported by the United Press about the flying saucers. And um, a reporter mentioned to Eisenhower that some European governments, quote, are investigating quite seriously reports of flying saucers. The U.S. Air Force has also been making a long study of unexplained phenomenon. The president's asked for his reaction, and Eisenhower thinks about it and replies that nothing recently had come to him on the subject. The last, quote, the last report he had on flying saucers, he did not say just when, was from an Air Force man whom he trusted. This man, the president said, told him it was completely inaccurate to believe that the saucers came from any other orbit or planet, end quote. So in the 1950s, Blue Book starts. President Eisenhower is speaking on the subject. Um, This continues throughout the 1960s, and there's a sense that the Air Force is, even as they somehow are able to file everything under explained, although they have another, um, another category. This is fun. There's a desire to not have unexplained cases or unidentified cases. So they have cases where the object is identified and they have cases where they sort of label it. I can't remember exactly, but it's along the lines of insufficient scientific evidence to reach conclusion, but not unidentified for crying out loud. It is not unidentified. They just don't have enough information to identify it. And then it sort of gets closed off from there. So as Blue Book is going on, the CIA gets involved with these things, initiating in 1952-1953 something called the Robertson Panel. And the Robertson Panel looks at this question of flying saucers from an intelligence perspective, and J. Allen Hynek, who would be Blue Book's scientific advisor, is on this panel. And the Robertson Panel comes to the conclusion that there is nothing to the flying saucers, there's nothing interplanetary or threatening to them, however, belief that there is something to them might be politically destabilizing. So what can the government through the media do to lessen the threat of flying saucers? And you you see the beginnings of a connection between or collusion between the government and media about this question of flying saucers. By the late 1960s, the Air Force is really wanting to get out of the flying saucer business. And they have been trying to get a university to take on a federally funded scientific investigation of the question of unidentified flying objects. They find the right place at the University of Colorado and Edward Condon as the head of this program. It's called the Condon Committee. And from 1966 to 1968, The Condon Committee looks at a huge number of sightings from the Blue Book files and from elsewhere. And they come to the conclusion that there is nothing to this. There's no reason to study this any further. There's nothing unexplained. Now, as I said in a previous encounter, that conclusion was heavily debated and disputed by people on the committee. And there was the sense that that was the conclusion that the committee was designed to come to by the end of their deliberations. So even though the official report made it sound like an open and shut case, people who worked on it were not so you know sanguine about it. The Conning Committee issues the report in 1968. By 1969, 1970, Blue Book has shut down because after all, the Condon Committee said 
there's nothing to it. So the Air Force is getting out of the flying saucer business. And that's where things have sort of stood um, without an official sort of recognition that they're looking at these things until this weekend. But the Air Force would get involved in other ways. In the 1990s, 1994 and 1997, for ex or maybe 95 and 97, the Air Force issued two separate reports about the Roswell incident um, in response to public demand. And they talk about, they talk about uh, the Mogul Balloon Project, for example, as being what the top secret crash really was. So the Air Force had interest, officially lost interest, dipped its toe in again in the 90s when the public said, hey, what about this, in huge numbers, and when um, when politicians from New Mexico uh, bothered the Air Force about it enough. But there's always been people within the defense and intelligent, def intelligent establishments who've had an interest in this subject. And it's very difficult to sort of distinguish between official interest by defense or intelligence officials with personal interest held by people who work in those fields. And so some of you may have heard of a, a group of people known as the aviary. They were defense and intelligence people with bird nicknames back in the 80s um, who were interested in this sort of thing. Um, there's been unofficial interest by officials within the government. So now we have this. We have the story that Robert Bigelow has been receiving money from, or his, his company has been receiving money from the federal government to investigate UFOs, that there are strange alloys that might be in warehouses somewhere. Um, it's an interesting story because there are parts of it that are not a new story. Researcher Jack Brewer, whose book The Greys Have Been Framed, is an outstanding look at um, sort of government misdirection and misinformation surrounding the UFO topic, um, sent out a tweet earlier, I think earlier today, maybe yesterday, where he linked to a 2011 article by former MUFON head James Carrion, in which James Carrion talks about the relationship between Robert Bigelow, and again, throw him in your Google machine because Robert Bigelow is way too big even for a regular episode of the podcast. He talks about the strained relationship between Bigelow and MUFON. The following is a quote from this article. In 2009, billionaire entrepreneur Robert Bigelow decided to hire MUFON to conduct UFO investigations on behalf of his new venture, an alleged aerospace company interested in discovering and exploiting novel and cutting-edge technologies that relate to space travel. Well, what's so unusual about that? Maybe it has to do with the following interesting facts. John Schusler, MUFON board member and former international director, was offered a U.S. government security clearance allegedly related to his consulting work for Mr. Bigelow. Now, whether John was actually given that clearance, I can't say for sure, but I was one of the people interviewed as part of the background investigation. Mr. Bigelow did not fund MUFON's work. Instead, quote, sponsors that Bigelow revealed to Schusler, but not to the other MUFON board members, put up the money. End of Carrion's quote. So, 2009, Robert Bigelow wants to do some UFO research. 
He's got some money from some mysterious backers. He approaches Mufon. Mufon gets on board with this. That money was from the Defense Department, apparently. That's how it all seems to fit together. So is this the much-vaunted disclosure of UFO reality that various advocates have talked about wanting for years? Is this people within the Defense Department needing to get the job done and realizing that contractors are the best way to do it, the most effective way to do it, the best way to keep things secret? Um, Is MUFON secretly the pawn of the defense and intelligence establishment? Who knows? Who cares, really? Um, But it's all fun to think about. Some thoughts. Um, One thought. Government interest in unidentified flying objects is not new. Government interest in unidentified flying objects being carried out unofficially through investigation is not surprising. So I'm not shocked that this is this has happened. I am a little surprised at the fairly rapid confirmation from the Defense Department that, oh yeah, yeah, we did that, but but we shut it down back in 2012. But yeah, five years, we did this, it was fine. That's a little odd. And there are people online, people um, I respect, uh, like uh, writer and researcher Greg Bishop, who've pointed out that, you know, when the government wants you to look at something very closely and says, here it is, maybe there's something else you should be looking at. Uh, There's also the question of why the UFO establishment, which has, you know, accused defense and intelligence apparatus of hiding the truth about UFOs or flying saucers since the late 1940s, why they would so readily believe this. Now, there are rumblings that there's more information to come that will make everything much clearer. Maybe. I would love to have more information. I think this is fun. However, um, we need to not fall into the trap of of believing things because it's what we want to hear. And, and, and I hope people don't fall into that. There's another thing to think about. Um, and that is that the fact that a lot of public money went to Robert Bigelow to look at this. Um, Robert Bigelow's making a lot of money off a lot of very different, you know, various parts of the federal government. It's a good gig. Um, and uh, I don't know enough about Robert Bigelow to know whether or not that's something I should be suspicious of. But one thing I do know is that if the government has information that's not classified or matters of, matters of national security, then you can freedom of information request your way to knowledge of things that our tax money is paid for. If a privately held corporation does these things, it's a little shakier. So there might be information out there that is not going to be in the public domain. And if it is shared with us, it's shared with us, you know, on somebody else's timetable, not because we have any right to it as the taxpayers who funded this research. That, That actually concerns me a little bit more than the actual flying saucers. But anyway, that's just, um, that's just my take on it. I think it's fun. I think there's probably more we're going to hear. I think that um, some of this is, is surprising. Some of it is not. My favorite thing about this is the way it's going to disrupt the UFO research community and the UFO 
interest community. Uh, disrupting communities is is fun to watch from a from a sort of social and cultural perspective. In the show notes, I've linked to the New York Times article and to James Carrion's uh, 2011 piece. I've also linked to um, two articles at Mysterious Universe that I think um, sum up the ideas that I think are, are worth paying attention to about this. Uh, one is by Nick Redfern and the other is by uh, MJ Benias, and uh, those are both very much worth your time. In any case, that is it for this brief encounter. And thank you to Claude Folkstrom for the story about Eisenhower responding to those reporter questions and Jack Brewer for the heads up about Carrion's discussion of Bigelow's activities. We'll have a couple more bonus encounters coming up over Christmas and New Year's. And I've got to tell you, I don't want to go back and edit them. So they're going to be bonus encounters three and four, even though they should be four and five, but this came up suddenly. So in the listings on your podcast app, it will be correct. But my OCD is going to, it's, it's going to freak me out. Anyway, regular service resumes on January 7th. The Saucer Life is written and produced by me, Aaron Gullius, and is a Chizo Media production. Till next time, keep watching the skies because some Robert Bigelow and stuff.